that's one thing. I think just people, their general approach to tuning their bow with arrows is not always the, the correct way to go about it. You know, some people, they think they can just slap an arrow on and it's, it's optimized, right? You gotta, you gotta really tune your bow to, to each different arrow you might use. Welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host today, Alan Bolin, and I have the pleasure of meeting with Steve Anderson, who is an employee at Hoyt. He uh, and he's also had a long history at Easton. So um, we're going to have a fantastic conversation today, and we may talk a lot about arrows. Bit of your specialty, right, Steve? You know, I've been fortunate enough to be around the bows and the arrows for a good while now. And I've, I've had a lot of firsthand experience. So yeah. Yeah. What I don't well, we, know, I'll, I'll pretend to know. So well, you can just make it up, right? You know yeah. enough to make it up and make it sound good. Okay. Exactly. Like if you say it with enough <laughs> conviction, people will believe you. The definition of a true expert is somebody who knows enough that he can BS anybody. Right. So you're right now the, uh, the target archery marketing manager at Hoyt and at Easton, you did a lot with the product, didn't you? Yeah. So at Easton, I did, uh, it was, I was mostly focused on target archery product there as well, but you, it, you know, it's not as big of a company as a lot of people might think it is. So you're involved in all the, and all of those fun things when you're a, right. a guy who is there and in the know. Yeah. Right on. Um, how long have you been at Hoyt now? Oh man. So I actually was at Hoyt for three years starting in 2012. Okay. And I went over to Easton early 2015 and then I came back to Hoyt about six weeks ago. Okay. So oh, six weeks. Yeah. That's fresh. Yeah. When, when you and I went to mountain archery fest, I was like, uh, that was my first week. <laughs> oh, okay. I can right hit the mothership here. So, yeah. So were these, you know, these two companies, you know, they have, I believe they share common ownership, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the Easton family, which, um, you know, is, Jim Easton and his son, Greg, and yeah, I'm not sure who else is involved in that, but those are the two I'm familiar with. They, uh, they have Easton management group, which is the parent company to both Hoyt and Easton, as well as Delta McKenzie targets. Okay. But moving between these two companies is not like, I mean, I don't see that happen a ton. It's not, even though they have common ownership, it's not like you're They're They're very separate companies. Correct. Yeah. They operate entirely separately. I mean, you know, you, you still view each other as an industry partner, but you know, I mean, financially we're completely separate employee wise. We don't share. So they're completely yeah. independent in their operations. Okay, cool. I was just wondering, I thought some people might be curious about that too, because I was so. Yeah. People are the, the misconception is Hoyt owns Easton or Easton owns Hoyt. And, and yeah, the truth is they're, they're sister companies owned by, the Easton family. So gotcha. Okay. Well, um, so let's talk today. And I think, you know, um, generally speaking, the listeners to this podcast are bow hunters. And so I would love, and I know that we can learn a lot from target archery. And I think, you know, your knowledge of target archery and the setups can teach us a lot about hunting arrow setup, but we always, of course, remember that we screw a broadhead on the front of these things. Right. And so that changes the game, of course. So what, when, when you're looking at, you know, today, like some common sort of misconceptions that you see out, you know, on social media or whatever, people tooting, you know, some horn about how some piece of information or, or characteristic of an arrow is extremely important. And you got to focus all on this. I see a lot that people get way too carried away on one idea and forget to balance everything. <laughs> but, but what do you see that, that, you know, we, we could discuss today and try to get to the bottom of some, some ideas and issues and questions people have. Oh man, I could derail this whole thing right now. And we could, <laughs> we could talk FOC for the next five hours and well, let's talk about it some, yeah, it, it will touch yeah. on it. I think we need to take like a pardon the interruption approach to that and set like a three minute timer and, and stick to that. <laughs> but that's one thing. I mean, um, that's one thing I think just people, 
their general approach to tuning their bow with arrows is not always the, the correct way to go about it. You know, some people, they think they can just slap an arrow on and it's, it's optimized, right? You gotta, you gotta really tune your bow to, to each different arrow you might use. And that leads to some misconceptions and things like trajectory and which arrow flies mm-hmm. flatter and things of that nature. Um, that there's a lot to that statement. Yeah. You just said misconceptions in trajectory, which like, how could there be misconceptions in trajectory? It is what it is, right? Yeah. But people don't know how to look <laughs> at it. So yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I want to understand what you're saying there. Yeah. So, um, cause it's not all just speed, right? No like speed out of the boat doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the same trajectory between two different arrows that come out of the boat at the same speed. Right. And if you want to, I mean, is that where we want to start? Are we diving in right here? Well, I mean, <laughs> there, yeah, there, yeah. there's a lot of other things, you know, but, um, yeah, looking at, well, so let's, so I guess just to give a, so somebody listening at the beginning of this podcast, some of the stuff we're going to go over today would be things like straightness. Sure. Right. Uh, things like, um, where, you know, heavy versus light and where that heavy versus light is, you know, in relates to, to the Florida center FOC idea. Um, how about, spine. I would love to dig into spine yeah, a bit. Spine, spine consistency, you know, diameter, diameter, is, a huge diameter. One. diameter is my, one of my favorite ones today to talk about just because of what it's become and what it used to be. And anyhow, uh, what else we got on the list there? Um, different insert systems. Yeah. And that's another huge one. That's a popular one, especially because yeah. that's probably driven by diameter. Um, yeah. Right. 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 You know, I, I don't know if I am qualified to jump in on the broadhead talk. That's probably for someone else who has tried a lot more well, and killed a lot more stuff. But yeah, I, I think though, you know, generally speaking, like maybe some of these things affect the fact that we need to, to get a broadhead to fly. You know, oh, yeah. and I have, I have like, I have a, I had a situation happen between the RX four and the RX five that I want to get your read on later when, when we get into the spine, the spine topic. So I think that, that like is enough of a teaser to keep people listening. If we bore them on the FOC. Subject. <laughs> yeah. If we, if we <laughs> right? set that timer on FOC <laughs> yeah. and get everyone, half the people will be mad at us and half the people will be thinking right, we're right, right. right on the right track, you know? Yeah. We'll either bore people or piss people off. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Cause you know, I, I run a little bit of an FOC, a high FOC, but I, I approach it quite differently than what some people are preaching in the industry with these super heavy arrows yeah. and super high FOC. I'm not into that at all, but I found a way to, to kind of compromise and get some good performance. So g- give me your thoughts and let's talk. So for, first, if you really look at it, I mean, in the target archery world where guys are literally making their living shooting a bow and arrow, I think the highest FOC I typically see is about 12%. You might get a little higher with some of your indoor setups, um, Mm -hmm. but the stuff outdoors where we're shooting 50 yards, 50 meters all the way out to, you know, say a hundred yards, that is going to be significantly lower FOC than what most people might believe. Um, So I was under the impression that the FIDA, or a world archery federation compound division that they were shooting high focs. No, most guys are shooting 120 grain point in that world in the comp with the okay. compound. Yeah. 120 grain. You might see a few with 140, but okay. you know, that's, that's total, total point weight. There's no insert involved in there. So just a good okay. point. So they're, they're typically um, a lot lower than, than what some might think in the Olympic recurve side, a lot of them go even lower. They're hitting around hundred grain points. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that one, one reason it's, this is not so much an issue with compound, but uh, with a, with an Olympic recurve where you're taking the string with three fingers, as you, if you have a variance in that in pressure from one finger to the to another, let's say, say you typically make a shot with, we'll call it 33% of pressure across each finger, giving you you know, 99, 100%. Um, and then, then the next shot, your top finger only has 30% and mm. your bottom has 36%. So now you're going to influence kind of a vertical spread with that. And what guys have found is the heavier, the points, the more critical that 
pressure becomes. So mm. they're actually, you know, they'll, they'll find a, a fine balance. And that's kind of my approach to, that's really my approach to everything in archery. If not life is somewhere it's like the Goldilocks thing. You know, the happy medium is almost always a good place to live. If you're not, if you're not a hundred percent sure, you don't have a ton of time to dial something in, or you just don't want to go and be the guy who's tinkering with a bunch of stuff, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's, that's money when you're talking arrows and points and inserts and broadheads and all that, you can really go down the rabbit hole and, and get a little crazy, spend a bunch of coin on, on figuring out a setup that, you know, you, you might ultimately have a bunch that will all do basically the same thing and right. probably didn't get a whole lot out of it, but anyhow, so I always try to live in a happy medium. So on my hunting arrows right now, I've got, uh, some axis four mil built up with the 55 grain titanium half out. And I use a hundred grain point on that. So it's a pretty simple yeah. setup. You know, that's about, about as heavy as I usually will go on the front end of an arrow. I, I don't, I've gone as high as 175 total arrow weight, total point weight, meaning point and in insert, but I've, I've never really never gone any further than that. Uh, other than trying it, you know, I, I can try it and realize like, all right, I'm just bleeding speed at, at distance really bad. And yeah. I get what I, what I feel is an arrow tipping effect where the thing wants to start diving. And then you can get some real interesting vertical spread, especially when you have fixed blade broadheads on there. So let's, let's uh, define that for the listener a little bit. So obviously a heavier arrow is going to shoot slower than a, a lighter arrow. But in addition to that, if there's a lot of weight up front, Steve's talking about an arrow tipping effect. So w- explain that a little bit. Uh, basically it's, it's exactly what it, what it sounds like. The arrow will start to tip in the direction of that heavier weight. And as it does that, it's going to start changing. If it does that too rapidly, right. If it tips fast and it could do that because of uh, shooter input or, or wind or anything of that nature, but basically it's just going to magnify the direction that it wants to go. So mm-hmm. And that's what I've always felt when I have too heavy of a point weight, too heavy of a point weight would almost always generate. And this is my target archery career, um, hunting setups, anything, you name it. It's all works out pretty much the same. I always felt like too heavy of a point weight. And I started having to really be perfect on a shot. I mean, if I had, if I felt like I was moving a little bit to the left, when I fired, it was way to the left. If, you know, if I felt like I was moving a little low when I fired it, it, it ended up further low. So, you know, a tuning method I've kind of gauged my archery career off of is just being able to go to a distance that I'm capable of making good shots at and calling those shots. So I like to shoot it when I'm doing it with my competitive stuff. I do it at 70 meters and I can do this. I'd probably do this around 60 yards with my mm-hmm. hunting bow. And I want a, a dot that's very easy to aim at. Another mistake a lot of guys make is they try to shoot it like a one or two inch or three inch dot. You want something that's very easy to aim at that you're, you will naturally center your pin in those round concentric circles. So mm-hmm. I still shoot at a 122 centimeter feet of target face. That's the target face they use for Olympic recurve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a, a yellow ring that is basically eight inches across. So mm-hmm. the, the yellow, and that's the nine and 10 line. Um, and what that does, that gives me very, it's very easy to aim. I'm not going to introduce any sort of uh, anticipation or target panic or, or anything of that nature. So I can also get a good reference on that target. So when I break a shot, I can go, okay, I think I broke that one uh, nine, 10 line at seven o'clock. Mm. I can look down through the spotting scope and go, all right, that's nine, 10 line at seven o'clock with a bad setup, you won't be able to call your shots as effectively, you know, that, that nine, 10 line at seven o'clock might turn into eight, nine line at seven o'clock, or even worse, it's somewhere that, you know, that's a bigger miss, even worse. It's somewhere you didn't expect it to be. You go, Oh crap, that one, you know, that one's up 
actually at 10 o'clock. So you're saying if you're, if your system is performing, your tune is good. Your arrow setup is good. If everything's performing, you're able to call your shots very consistently. Absolutely. And you've got to gotcha. be, you've got to be honest with yourself there. Right. And I think most guys, when they're out shooting on their own, they can be very honest going, all right, that was kind of a garbage shot. If you, if you make a real, just terrible shot, I don't count that in the mix, but you know, you're, you're trying to find a setup that works well when you make an average shot. So yeah. Yeah. You yeah. go out and you make a shot and you, you go, this should be here. Then you look, verify that result. You know, if you're not coming pretty close to hitting where you think you should, when you fire an arrow, you probably need to examine something in the combination, either good. veins, point weight, broadhead, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. That's really good stuff. So, so what I've seen on this whole FOC thing and heavy arrow thing is people taking a truth and exaggerating it to the point that it becomes um, a bad thing. So I will not argue if somebody says, look, my 600 grain arrow will penetrate better than your 400 grain arrow. I agree with that. Sure. It will, it will penetrate better. And if I were some, you know, a, a, a you know, say a, a lady shooting a 40 pound bow, that might be really important. Right. But since I'm generating, you know, over 80 foot pounds of kinetic energy, accuracy also becomes important. So that 600 grain arrow becomes a liability when that animal takes two or three steps, you're now wounding or missing because of the trajectory of the arrow. And so they only look at one small part of the equation, which is penetration and say, this is by far the most important thing. Um, it's, you know, and I could go off on broadheads too. People say, well, my two, my two blade bevel, whatever is going to out penetrate your, that big old three blade mechanical. You're absolutely right. And if we hit them in the shoulder, you're going to outperform. If I hit them in the guts, I'm going to outperform. So you can't just look at one scenario. You can't just look at one small piece of the puzzle. You have to balance things across a wide variety of variables. So I'll tell you my setup on arrows and you can tell me if, if you like it or not and be honest. So I'm shooting a really lightweight shaft, 7.8 grains per inch. It's short 26 inches and I'm shooting 163 grains up front. That's including the insert. So it's 125 grain point plus the insert, um, gives me 16 and a half percent FOC, mm -hmm. but my arrow weighs 410 grains and goes 298 feet per second. So I am not sacrificing any trajectory in my opinion, uh, by shooting a little bit more FOC. I've felt that it, it performs a little bit better in the wind when I shoot that little bit more FOC in the wind. Now I'm never going to go to a 600 grain arrow to accomplish that because there's too many drawbacks on the other side, but I feel like, Hey, I'm 410 shooting 298. Why not have a little bit extra forward weight? What do you feel about that? Um, your, your FOC is certainly that, that percentage number is compounded by the arrow length, right? Yes. So right. that's it what is. a lot of guys, you know, if you're a, a 30, 31 inch draw length, it's like, Hey, you're probably not going to hit that big FOC number. Without, without going really a giant going heavy arrow. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then, and then you're also using a stiffer spine arrow, which is inherently heavier. So it really gets hard to hit a certain percentage number. If that's what guys are looking at as the Holy grail, I would totally, uh, I would recommend against that. Um, mm, gotcha. Cause it might be easy for me to get something built that way, but for somebody else, they're gonna have to make huge sacrifices. Right. Like, like if I wanted yeah. to hit 16%, you know, I think my arrows are, my arrows are pretty light for a 250 spine. And they're like 9.5 or 9.3 or thereabouts. So, right, you know, right. and, and I, I could now I'm 32 inch draw length. So I could argue that maybe I even need 200 spine probably do probably will try that. But um, yeah, there there's, when you get down that percentage number and too many guys get hung up thinking, Oh, it has to be this percentage. It's like, man, I can guarantee you 15%, 16%. When, when the thing hits the, terminal point that is going to be a very hard to measure statistic, right? That 1% yeah. of FOC, it's gonna be very hard do, to tell. Do what you that feel is. Steve though, like taking out the disadvantages that we're talking about, about having to shoot these really heavy arrows that have bad trajectory in a vacuum, 
Is there any advantage to hire FOC? Oh, I'm sure there, there has to be, I would assume, you know, um, it's like shooting, a, a if you, if you could have, I think the, the ideal arrow would be, um, the point, the knock and whatever was in between would probably go away. Right. Okay. And then you're effectively, right. you're effectively <laughs> shooting a bullet. Yeah. So it, you know, that's okay. what that is. So, but that takes away yeah. your, your wind drift and all of that stuff. Cause you have, you lose that cross section. So um, yeah, it, it's, there's certainly an advantage to finding the, I think the heaviest point that gives you the optimal wind drift overall arrow group and, and going from there. I mean, first and foremost, if, like I said, if I don't think the thing is grouping how it needs to, that's first check. That's the first litmus test. Yeah. If I think, okay, this is grouping really well, then you want to throw on another 25 grains and see how it does, you know? And if you go, Hey, I think the group is pretty much the same or better. Or even if you're willing to give up just a little bit of group size, which, you know, you can in certain scenarios, if it's, you know, you're mm-hmm. talking a 10th of an inch or so and getting into that, it's very hard for a lot of guys to actually measure that. So you're, you're looking at, groups over time and kind of throwing a gut feel to it. But yeah. Um, yeah. Going, going up until you probably have the most, but at some point, right. It's a, it's a, uh, you're not getting the return out of it. You're simply just going mm-hmm. slower. Right. So, and that's where I'm like, there's. Then accuracy goes down and there's nothing yeah. more important than accuracy. Right. I mean, there's a reason yeah. when you look at, when you look at people shooting, and you look at a bow or an arrow that's flying 210 feet per second, yeah, that'd be a pretty fast Olympic recurve. And then mm-hmm. you throw in a compound doing 280 plus you're like, there's pretty obvious reason why one is more accurate than the other when elements are involved. And, you know, you're a Western hunter. Um, a, a lot of guys are Western hunters these days, guys who live back East, they set up to hunt in the West cause they're coming out and doing it. Yeah. Have you ever been on top of a mountain and not had a breeze coming across that? (laughs) (laughs) It's so rare. Yeah. Basically. No. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I made a living for a number of years with team USA shooting in the wind. So I value performance in the wind and, Mm -hmm. and the slower you get, I can attest that the worse off it is now. Interesting. Again, you know, you throw a really, a really lightweight arrow really fast and the speed has to make up for it. And there's, I, I wish I could say, Hey, here's the ballistic coefficient of these arrows and here's what it does in a 10 mm-hmm. mile an hour crosswind. But the archery industry is not yet there with, whereas companies like applied ballistics in the rifle industry, you know, you can calculate all that and, mm-hmm. and know the exact number. So I'm sure that the time is going to come for the archery industry to hit that to where you could go, all right, my arrow is this exactly what you spec'd out and the veins are this. And, and my, point weight is, is that, and yada, 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 plug in your number, 10 mile an hour crosswind. Here's how much you're going to drift it mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, 50 yards. But right now the, the industry is not there. So it's, it's something you yeah. got to go and measure. And, and again, kind of put some gut feel to, well, I got to say, I'm glad it's not there because yeah, it, I, <laughs> I like the art of our business. Right. Yeah, it is cool. So in, in your opinion, with somebody with a ton of experience shooting in crosswinds and, and just, you know, helping people with their setups, wh- what do you think is the most important factor for good crosswind performance? Uh, shooter understanding what it is, right? So I think too many, again, too many guys shoot at a little tiny dot on a, on a big blank target. I think one of the best things you can do, especially when you're testing crosswind, if you want to go really learn how to shoot in a crosswind, or it, I should say this, if you want to learn what your arrows are doing in a crosswind, you would stand inside in a controlled environment where you can make good shots mm. and shoot outside into the wind. And you would do it on a target that had like a feet, target, which has a measurable grid basically. So now you can understand, you know, if you can record the wind, you can understand about how far an arrow moves in that wind. The next thing you can do is go out and learn to shoot in it. And, uh, again, you want to be shooting at a target that's easier to aim at, or even a 3d target, you know, something that is what you're going to be shooting at. Um, when the, the moment of truth comes, mm-hmm. um, but learn, learn what that is going to feel like, learn how to counter that. 
and learn how to execute a good shot through movement because you've got a, a lot of guys will see that movement and they'll panic and they tense up really bad. There, there's some things you can do to, to uh, counteract what the wind is doing. You know, we, we get taught right away. Don't grip the bow when you shoot the bow. I mean, one of the best things you can do to counteract wind, you don't grip your bow, but you get your fingers right on the front of the riser and you squeeze that bow back into you. Mm. It'll prevent the front stabilizer from doing the back and forth, left, right waggle. Okay. And it'll, it'll help steady you up in that wind. So you're not wrapping your fingers around the grip. You're just yeah. anchoring them to the front of that grip. So, well, I think everything changes. Like, for example, I, I shoot much more command shooting, like call it punching or whatever. Yeah. Luckily my, the, my setup, I can shoot with really nice back tension or I can get it on the edge and actually activate the shot. And in the wind, I tend to do that. I find it more accurate. Uh, yeah. Oh, hundred percent. When I'm shooting a hunting setup, I'm going to be helping that thing go off. It, it's, yeah. uh, you know, when I shoot a, when I'm competing, I'm shooting a, a hinge release and doing it that way. Cause that's, what's most accurate for me. There are plenty of guys who punch it and do really well. Not the method I would take, especially if you're learning how to shoot, um, or, or trying to refine your shot. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I get with a hunting setup, I always use a wrist strap release. Uh, I, you know, I might test one with a hinge or whatever, just trying to yeah. figure out a bow. But when I'm hunting, it's a wrist strap release. I want something right there on me all the time. I don't want to have to switch remember, for it. What did you have when we shot a few weeks ago? When we shot a few weeks ago, I had a hinge. Did you? Yeah, okay. Cause I couldn't yeah. find my wrist strap. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but that one, I would have shot a hinge anyways, just cause you know, it's a new bow trying to figure it out. So I want to, yeah, I want to go out there and, and make more target archery shots and, and try to yeah. explore it that way. But yeah, people who say they are going to go and execute a shot with back tension and hit a surprise release on a deer or elk in front of them. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm getting it yeah. in the zone and mm -hmm. I am going to make a very controlled punch on that animal. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really like your response to my question about the, the biggest factor that affects wind performance is like your knowledge. And that, yeah. that's awesome. So as far as arrow characteristics, what would you say are the biggest? I mean, I think it's obvious, but let's just go through them. Yeah. I mean, again, total arrow weight is going to be part of the equation and then arrow diameter. So higher arrow weight is helpful, helpful to a point. There's a diminishing return on that, you know, because you also said that slow arrows are unhelpful. Right. So, so you have to find a good mix. Right. And you know, if I were to establish a number to that, I would say 440 grains, 450 grains, somewhere okay. in there. So like your, okay. your setup, I would say is on the, the lightweight side. Mine is probably on the, the heavier side. And I think mine are like 520 or something like that. I can't remember what they okay. weighed in at. Wouldn't uh, it be nice to have a 32 inch draw? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're 520 doing like 285 <laughs> pretty easily without pulling yeah, a ton of yeah. weight. So, yeah. Yeah. It, what uh, about diameter? How does that affect that crosswind performance? That is the, to me, that's the biggest, that's the biggest oh, factor. Yep. Biggest. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't okay. think people can quite comprehend that unless you take like two arrows on the opposite end of the spectrum and, mm -hmm. and shoot them. So, I took some of my indoor arrows and for some reason I ended up, we were doing a photo thing and, and I was outside with them and uh, this was a carbon indoor arrow. So it wasn't super, super duper heavy, but you know, mm -hmm. heavy and 20, a 27 diameter. So that's a uh, 0.422 inches. And most of your hunting arrows these days are in the 0.240 to 0.295 inches. So mm -hmm. like a, a four mil, axis or are you shooting a gold tip pierce uh no i shoot a 204 okay right so that's 204 so internal diameter. is that a five mil that'd be a five mil yeah and that's yeah. your internal diameter is 204 mm -hmm. so your, right. your external is probably a neighborhood of like 250 255 okay yep. um anyhow when you shoot and like we said the the hunting world has been leaning more and more towards kind of what gets used in the target world and four mil shafts are a perfect example of that um arrows like four mil axis or gold tip pierce that's the arrows we're talking here um mm -hmm. they use a, a 
167 internal diameter yep. component. And that, that stemmed from uh, the Easton ACE, which was an arrow developed in the late. I 80s. shot it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. J bars used them to win the 1988 Olympics. J bars lives down the road from you. So um, <laughs> anyhow, those are, those are, those are leaning more towards target arrows. Right. So I shot mm -hmm. some indoor arrows at 50 yard, 50 meters. So 55 yards. And then I shot my outdoor arrows side by side. And I'm like, man, these indoor arrows just blow like crazy. And then I got a better comparison wow. with my 3d arrows, which are, they are nearly the same weight as my X 10 outdoor target arrow. So mm -hmm. the, my 3d arrow was like a 25 diameter. So, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast who shot 20, 25 years ago, you probably remember like an Easton 2512, pretty large diameter arrow. And a lot of guys used them to kill a lot of animals, but mm -hmm. anymore, that is completely, you know, no one is using something like that in the field, not hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, anyhow, shooting those two, same thing. I mean, I, I should have taken measurements, but I would say they drifted it, just going off feel. I was like, these are drifting probably two and a half, three times more. Wow. Than, yeah. So you're talking, if I get, uh, I, I always do everything in, in ring measurements. So okay. I, yeah. I would say, all right, I'm going to aim left side 10 ring. So on the, on the feet of target, that's like holding two inches to the left basically. And you know, if I'm hitting my X tens, if they're dropping in, they're moving two inches. Those, those big 3d arrows are probably moving almost to eight, nine ring on the other side or yeah, eight, nine ring on the other side, which is going to mm -hmm. be, uh, yeah. In the neighborhood of, yeah, it's about, it's about exactly three X six inches. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's at yeah. 50 yards. That's a pretty common, right. Pretty common right, hunting right. distance. So yeah, that's, that's how, one thing. how stiff was that wind? Oh, that was again, this I mean, is where you're not going to know. Was it, was it 10 or was it 30? Oh, it was definitely, it was a shootable wind. I would call it. So you so could 10, still 12. aim and understand where you're breaking. Yeah. You're probably yeah. in the neighborhood of eight to 12 miles per hour. Yeah. Okay. And that's, you know, so much of this, like, again, like you said, there's an art to it and yeah, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be amongst some of the, the best archers to ever walk the face of the earth. And none of us are carrying a wind gauge, you know, and right. we're, we're, yeah. all, we're all just going out. We, we'll look at the weather coming into the day, but you know, a lot of times we're shooting in stadiums and weird stuff. So you get weird wind conditions and it becomes something you strictly do off feel. And that's where time doing it helps you understand, you know, what you need to do. And then watching, watching stuff move in the air. You know, that's another thing. Yeah. If you have cottonwood drifting or something like that, and you can understand exactly what the wind is doing and, and then knowing where, where it's doing it. Right. Uh, is sometimes what you feel versus like, say you're shooting across a small goalie, what you feel on you may not be the same as what's happening over that goalie. You know, there's, there's one shot. I remember, I'll always remember it in particular, at uh, the Western Classic Trail Shoot in Redding, California. And it's 64 yards across the little canyon. And canyon goes uphill from, from left to right. So downhill on the bottom, uphill on the right. And there's always a thermal working up that canyon. Always. And you'll, we are standing on one ridge top. And we'll sometimes feel something completely different. Right. And in the, a mere space of 64 yards, and especially at the area where your arrow is decaying speed and most affected by wind, it can be doing mm -hmm. something completely different. Mm -hmm. So understanding that and observing that, like that's first and foremost, you know, especially when you're talking shooting on game and it, say you're sitting in a, in a blind, you know, hunting antelope. Oh yeah. Like, you know, I think one of the best things a guy can do at an antelope blind is throw a, if you've got a 35 yard shot across a, a water hole or something, you know, throw a, a flag out there too. just yeah. hang a little, Interesting. hang a little something up. So you have an indicator of yeah. what's happening out there. Do you remember how far the Eagle was? Eagle was 112 yards, 112. So here we are 
at the mountain archery fest, a, a bunch of Hoyt guys. <laughs> and we have, and that wind was not shootable. Like no, you could barely make a 20 yard shot in that wind. Yeah. It was blowing 30 plus and we're <laughs> shooting at a skylined Eagle target at 112 yards. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, we're just making gold tip and East and a bunch of extra money because <laughs> we're just throwing arrows away. <laughs> but somehow Kevin Wilkie and Jeremy Eldridge, they hit the Eagle. Yeah. Not, not only did they hit it, they like pinwheeled it too. They it was did. stupid, you know? <laughs> and the other unbelievable thing was, I think you and I and Zach could have been someone else. We all missed that Eagle to the left. Right. And mm -hmm. I went and found our arrows about 60 yards behind it. And they were within a foot and a half of each other. Oh, wow. Like we the, grouped them. Yeah. The, 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 so like 175 yards out. Right. And our horizontal spread was a foot and a half <laughs> and they entered the dirt within like four inches of each other. Oh, it was incredible. My goodness. And we're that all, is awesome. And when you think about that, we're all shooting different arrows, different speeds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Man, how I, I felt that. when my shot went off, I felt like I stroked it, but I missed. Oh, when my shot went off, you know. I had, you know, a hundred yard pin aiming up at a tree two miles no, away. You, you, you weren't very scientific. Yeah, there was, I, I, I was dialed. I could, I, <laughs> I couldn't, missed, dial. I missed. Yeah, I couldn't get that much range out of it. So, <laughs> well, Steve, when you set your bow up the night before, this is what happens. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's all very interesting stuff. How, how about, um, veins in the wind? I don't think veins matter as much as people think. Interesting. So they, they are going to matter, but I think the amount, let me say, let me rephrase this. I don't think the cross section of veins matters as much as people think it's a very minimal amount of actual material right? Being pushed. If you're talking square inches, you know, yeah. it, it's probably, you could go from, I think you were, what were you using? Like a 2.3 inch AAE vein or something like that. Yeah. I think the hybrid two threes, yeah. four of them. Right. And I was using the hybrid two, six, four of those. Mm -hmm. And if you really looked at that, like what's the, so let's say you have two veins in the cross section of the wind and you know, you're adding maybe, uh, maybe a yeah. half inch of material. So then you add mm -hmm. in say four inches of arrow shaft and there's a whole lot more cross section yeah. of material there. So interesting. What yeah. I, what I think matters more with veins is the actual amount of drag you're putting on the arrow and how much you're decaying speed mm. at the distance with, where it's with being a lot of helical or whatever. Right. And yeah. And with, yeah, helical has become the thing. And, a lot of guys, same as they approach FOC, they approach helical. Like if some is good, more is better. And right. when you, when you're talking that, like you only need enough vein to control the arrow coming out of the bow, right? You need to mm -hmm. get the arrow flying clean within. I mean, if it's not flying clean at 20 yards, you're going to have a real problem. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're all going to fly really clean at like 60 yards, but they've got a lot mm -hmm. of time to recover by then. So yeah, you got to have enough vein to get things flying clean up close, which is going to help your broadhead accuracy overall. Um, and you've got to get it probably spinning enough to, to help control that. But mm -hmm. if you have it spinning too much, meaning you have too much vein, too much helical, you're just introducing too much drag. Then all you're going to do is create a parachute effect. Right. Imagine standing in a, hel a helicopter a hundred feet above the ground and mm -hmm. you drop, uh, you, well, you drop an arrow out of there. And mm -hmm. if you've got a normal arrow, right, you're going to be able to drop it and be pretty darn accurate hitting whatever's underneath you. Now you put a big parachute on that arrow and <laughs> let go of it. And now it's like susceptible to a ton of stuff because it's slowing down too right. much. It's going to blow around, you know, it, if you, if you started it off track to begin with, now it has a ton of time to get even further off track. So the parachuting effect is, is one of the things that people probably are experiencing with a lot of the vein setups today, which is four veins, heavy helical, you know, already in a pretty slow setup to begin with. So there's some balance there. And I think guys will find more accuracy testing a vein setup 
than they will uh, like testing vein, you know, total drag combination than they will messing with a number of other things in their arrow mix, including point weight. Hmm. But the point one's easier, easiest to test. You screw it on, you screw it off. Yeah. Yeah. And people right. are like, okay, I'll do this, but no one wants to yeah. reflex their arrows. Nobody. Right. There's some well, guy. When you do does. these tests, you, you kind of need to retune like every time you change something. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, you don't kind of, you, you have to, yeah, you should like, be. To, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell you um, a story just to like, since, and you know, this whole arrow weight FOC thing, I know we've been all over the map on this, but it's just an interesting story. I had a one on a Brown bear hunt a few years ago and the, and the outfitter, I won't say who it was, but he said minimum 600 grain arrow in my camp. This is on Kodiak Island. And I'm like, that is a freaking crap, man. I was pissed. It really bothered me that this guy is dictating my setup. And like, I, I like, I just don't, he doesn't have the experience I have. Right. And brown bear are not, I mean, they're big, but they're not a thick skinned animal. And like accuracy is so important to me. So ultimately I lied to him <laughs> and I brought like a 480 grain arrow and whatever, right. you know? So then, and anyway, I didn't kill my, my hunting partner, Spike Lewis killed a 10 footer. It was freaking awesome. But anyway, so I, I went back last year with a different outfitter and, and he didn't care. So I brought my four tens. Right. And, um, I, uh, had a small fixed blade head on there and I shot my Brown bear at 40 yards coming at me. And I thought it was at 25 because he was coming at me. Everything happened so fast. It was foggy. I thought he was 25 yards. I just aimed with my top pin. And he was 40. And guess what? Because I'm shooting 298, it didn't matter. Hill of beans. And I freaking pummeled him through the heart. He's coming at me, enters the front of his chest, exits by, by his back hip. And I never found the arrow. Right. So Con you tell yeah. me I need a 600 grain arrow. I just passed through the length of a brown bear. <laughs> and if I hadn't, if I had been shooting that 600 grain arrow, I would have hit him low. Yeah. You probably and I, and it you might have missed mess. him or you would have caught like what, like brisket or something, right? Yeah. yeah. It would have been a disaster. He would have gotten a bullet is what would have happened. And so anyway, I just got to say, I'm a big believer in not taking things to the extreme, you know, and having nice, well-rounded setups. Um, so Steve, let's talk a little bit about spine. Like it's, it's, I want to know, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, speaking compound bow and also getting a broad head to fly. What are your thoughts? Well, it's not spine. Spine is a tough one because you can read the charts and have an indicator of where you should go. And you can check something like archer's advantage and have an indicator of where you should go. And it, uh, they'll, they'll all get you pretty, pretty well close. Right. And then guys will go and, and shoot the bow and they'll get, a, say a left hair and they go, Oh, left. Uh, everyone goes, Oh, left hair means weak. That's weak spine. And that's hundred percent not true anymore. I mean, you yeah. can left hair probably means that the bow or the shooter is influencing the knock travel to the left at the mm -hmm. shot. And it, you know, you can go and put a ton of different arrow spines in there and a lot of times those people will still shoot a left air. So I try to get to where I, you know, a known setup or even better. There's so many resources now with, you know, say guys like you, um, another guy has a bow. He says, Hey, Al, what's your, uh, what's your draw length poundage? And he goes, okay, I'm pretty similar to him. Well, what are you shooting for an arrow? Right. There's a good starting mm -hmm. point. Cause there's a guy who you're a guy who's gone and figured it out. And right. you've probably got a, a bucket. Well, my arrow length I told you about, it's not even on the charts. Yeah. say Doing what I'm doing with the point weight I have, and it's not even on the charts. Yeah. I had to like spitball it and test it a bunch. Yeah, you're, you're making some stuff up, right? And right. figuring out a way. So same thing in target archery. Um, you know, you get around, around the best target archers in the world and they're going, okay, I've got 380 spine. I've got a 420 spine. I've got a 470 spine, whatever, you know, usually they'll grab three different numbers. So like if I were setting up a, a new target bow today, I would get uh, probably a 340 and, and a 380, uh, maybe, a, mm -hmm. maybe a 300 too. Just depends mm -hmm. on what arrows they are, but, and this is outdoor setup. We're talking indoor, completely different mm -hmm. game, but we won't even go there. Right. 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 Um, and then I'm going to go build them all up the exact same way the same point weight, same cut length and, and go shoot them. Uh, a, a lot of things I'll see out of people. They'll go, well, 
these ones are a little stiffer. So I leave them a little longer so that I'm, I'm like, what, what's the point? Like you're talking 40 to 50 thou of difference in a static measurement on the arrow with a, I think it's 880 grams is what they hang off that arrow. It's like two, mm-hmm. two pounds basically. So that's how they test spine. They span the arrow. They take a 30 inch arrow and they span it at 28 inches. They've got one inch of overhang on each side. Okay. Hang that two pound weight off the center of it. And they measure how far it deflects. Mm-hmm. So you're talking from one spine to the next, it's usually about 40 to 50 thousandths of an inch. It's barely anything. Wow. You know? And do, do most manufacturers, you feel like they're um, representing the true spine um, or do, do people, do people lie to try to get lighter weights? They'll do that on occasion. And sometimes they'll do that just to get in a certain category. You know, they'll be like, mm-hmm. okay, we're, this is a 300 spine. It's a 320, you know? And right. And right. Right. Then there's, there's other manufacturers who I don't think they, they, they don't actually manufacture their own arrows. I should say there's other uh, proprietors of, arrows that um they don't manufacture their arrows and and the people who do manufacture them don't measure spine they don't even know the correct way right so okay yeah the stuff they're getting it's like nah this isn't how it's supposed to be but anyhow right right so when you're trying to like determine what spine is the best a, a computer program can't really tell you that a a chart can't really tell you that sadly the only way you can really know that is to go and shoot two of them. Right. Yeah. Shoot two of them right. built exactly the same. And, and it's probably going to take a bunch of shooting because they're probably not going to be a whole lot different, but you'll eventually find what you feel like is the winner. And that's what you got to roll with is what you feel confident in, right? Mm-hmm. What you feel confident in is going to be the one you want to take. So, yeah. So I had something happen. I want to get your read on this. So RX four, I set up an arrow for bison hunting. I, I normally shoot mechanical broadheads. I like the big hole. We don't really need to get into it, but I like it. But when I'm on my bison and my brown bear, I shoot a small fixed blade just because it's a little bit of a penetration game, right? Mm-hmm. And it's in the kill zone so big, you know? And right. anyway, so um, so I, I'm, I'm bison hunting and I have my RX4 and my bow is tuned, like tuned. You know, I'm shooting a dozen arrows through paper at five yards and every one of them's a bullet hole. Right. But I, I put on my, my, uh, my fixed blades and right around 60 yards, man, they start getting squirrely. And I just, it just immediately puts me in a bad mood. Like nothing puts me something that I can't control just freaking puts me in a bad mood. So I quit golf. And so (laughs) anyway, um, so anyway, I kill my bison, but you know, it's 45 yard shot. So it doesn't even, it's not even an issue and it's a 20 inch kill zone. It's not an issue, but it just bugged me. Right. So the next spring I'm getting ready for Brown bear and I take out the exact arrows, the exact broadheads. And now it's the RX five with the new cam system. Same same weight, same draw weight, everything. And these fixed blades, dude, I almost became a convert. Like at a hundred yards, I'm smacking six inch groups and I'm in love. I am in love with these fixed blades. What hmm. happened? This, what happened? What was arrow speed difference? So, uh, really the same. Pretty I mean, much, in the, yeah, in the 290s, in the 290s. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to guess there that you probably had a man. That's really weird to say. I don't know. No, I do think, I do think I will say this, that there's two factors, right? One is maybe the new cam system. Cause it was cam and a half on RX four and the new binary cam on RX five. Right. So maybe there's more level knock travel. That's one thing. The second yeah. thing is I'm shooting a three forty spine and I feel like I'm on the edge. They shoot but I feel like I'm on the edge and maybe the new setup is less sensitive to spine or more tolerant. Could be that a lot of times when you go from one cam system to the other, it's how and when it delivers the power and coming mm-hmm. out of, you know, the let off phase into the actual power stroke, what that does. So yeah, that, that would be my guess as to what it is. Um, What's hard to a say spine, is a spine related thing more than knock travel, but well, yeah, more than knock travel, more just how it's okay. actually hitting the arrow. But what's interesting Zach, is that's what he thought too, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is when you tell me like, okay, when these things get to 60, 
they're not shooting good on your previous bow. I just said, mm-hmm. all right, what is it like the same arrow? Are they opening up randomly in, a, in the group or is the same arrow diving the yeah, same? Yeah, man, the group just opens up. Yeah. See, and I would have thought I like, couldn't find, I didn't shoot them enough probably to really doubt, but all I know is my groups got big. See, and I would have wondered immediately like, all right, first thing to check is the parachuting effect exactly as I, mm. as I mentioned, but what I would have had you do there is I said, you now my mechanics were shooting awesome though. On the same arrows. Right. So you shouldn't, that shouldn't be the issue. So, yeah, yeah I, I would have you number the arrow, make sure you're, you know, recording the data of, of what each arrow is doing with, and, and not swapping broadheads around. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if you really want to find out, then start swapping broadheads around and see what happens. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I've always been like, I don't know. One thing about, about a lot of my opinion on a lot of, um, fixed blade broadheads is I didn't know if I could trust them shot to shot. You know, I'm like, man, is mm. this blade stout enough that I know it's staying exactly in the same place this shot as it mm. was last shot. Cause if that blade turns a little bit or, or just leans yeah. over a little bit, you're, that's a wing on the front of the, on the front of the arrow. It's total steering is all it is. Complete yeah. Steering. So it's just like trying to drive down the street and you're forward with, you know, one wheel turn sideways. So it's just going to get squirrely. So that's what I don't know. On, on spine, are you generally okay going one level stiffer than the chart says? Always. For compound. Yeah. I'd have no issue with that. Yep. Yeah. Now, is there such a thing as going too stiff? Like at some point? Uh, Probably. Yeah. I I think anything. Yeah. I think you can get into a scenario where the arrow is not absorbing any sort of energy from the bow and it's it, rather than wanting to yeah get that little bit of flex to deflect a, a you know say a push left or a push right of the knock it's uh it's just going to drive the whole thing to the left yeah. and then, then, yeah. then you're forcing veins to start correcting and you know it right right probably be totally fine but it's probably not going to be optimal probably shoot good okay. maybe not great so, so stiffer, but generally stiffer is better. If you're having trouble with your broadhead flight, maybe try a stiffer spine. Yeah. Is that, and, and if you're tuned for sure. And I'll say yeah. this, like when I, when I started at, at Easton, I had come from Hoyt and I knew I'm like, Hey, there, there needs to be more arrows available, like 250 spine. We need a 200 spine, mm-hmm. you know, and they kind of, one guy who's no longer there kind of didn't believe me. He's like, ah, oh, well, you know, we, it, the data doesn't reflect that. We're not selling a lot of this. I'm like, yeah, well, the one you've got probably isn't the one people want for a spine. I said, that's the arrow I need. And it's not the one I want, you know? So mm, Right. Thought, yeah. You need to sell the yeah. right arrow in that spine. So if yeah. you want to be a product development guy, who's leaning on sales numbers, right. At least understand the market. And he did not. <laughs> but anyhow, um, now you'll see, Easton has literally every arrow into a 250 spine pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, and nice. now a 200 spine as well. And mm. what I brought over some stuff for, you know, just a pile of, of stuff for our engineering guys to make sure they had enough of it here at Hoyt, because we're, we're seeing that, you know, 250 and even 200 is more in the realm these days. Interesting. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on like insert systems? And, and any advantage or disadvantage of different systems? Oh man. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts on them. Um, you know, with everyone moving towards a smaller diameter, like four mil arrow these days, it, it obviously brought like half outs and some people call them outserts, but no one's really making a true outsert. It's always a half out goes internal mm-hmm. to the shaft and then the, the external part, the half out part um, is threaded for your, um, field points and broadheads. And they'll, those seem to be, that's where you can make or break an arrow. And I mean, I, I even remember probably like, I don't know, 12 years ago, I had, there was a, a new arrow to the market. won't name names, but they, they had, literally, I had like some of the first dozen they made and, mm-hmm. I got some components that were not properly heat treated is what they ended up telling me later on. And, Mm. uh, they had, they had basically a half out system and they 
were fine for the most part. Then I was up hunting camp, shot a Reinhardt target that was rock solid because it was like 30 degrees outside. And it started bending all those inserts. Well, I didn't really notice, right? I literally shot him the morning. I was getting ready to go to a blind, um, pulled him out of the target, still pretty much dark, put him back in the quiver and went to the blind. Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up firing an arrow at an antelope that at 25 yards turned completely sideways and fell on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. It fell on the ground in front of, I'm like, what in the world? So, you know, I, (laughs) I figured out what it was, drove three hours home, (laughs) changed changed all my components and came back. So a, a really good arrow can be undone by a bad component system. And that's, mm-hmm. that's why you're seeing the rise of a lot of these aftermarket companies that they're strictly making components, you know? Yeah. Um, th- there's, there's a, a market for people who want really, really hardcore component systems and um, like an oversleeve, you know, that basically flips the arrow um, a lot of things to help strengthen that actual terminal end of the arrow. And it's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I, my approach to it is like, do not cheap out on so many people cheap out on, on arrow systems. And I don't get it because as hunters, we spend so much money on all this stuff, you know, and then guys will, guys will look at, for some reason, they'll look at arrows and they'll be like, Oh, these ones are 250 bucks. Oh man, that's crazy. I'm going to buy these right. ones that are $210. It's like really $40. Like that was what was too much for you. You're going to like drive a thousand miles to Colorado and hunt elk, but that 40 bucks for, uh, you know, a premium system is what hung up on you. So, yeah. And, and that's just one area where, you know, like that's why I have the titaniums in my four mil. I, I want mm-hmm. a very, very strong front end component system. Mm-hmm. So Man, I have so many more questions for you. (laughs) I want to talk to you about the difference between four and five mil and tunability. I want to ask you about, uh, we're, we're just running out of time. We'll have to, we'll have to continue some other time. I, I want one question for you, something that I've never quantified. I wanted to, I've just wondered about if you've ever seen this in, in really stiff wind. Do you, lose distance sort of, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you have to heat up a couple yards on your site tape to get there. Have you seen that? I have seen, like I've, I've had arrows kind of come up short in really stiff wind. Yeah. I think you do just cause it's not flying clean, right? It's got, it's constantly blowing around and your veins are wanting to turn sideways in the wind. It's introducing more drag. So, so it's just lack of efficiency. Yeah. I, I think, it, of. you know, and I'm not sure how much it could drop you, but I do know when, when I'm shooting in, in say a 50 meter event where wind is always prevalent. Yeah. When it gets really windy, like you seem to always be, let me say this on a windy day, you leave the course and your, your side is at 51 or 51, oh. you know, you're like, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have seen yeah, that too. And you end up moving okay. it back. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm sure it's different for everyone, but I, I do feel like it's a little bit and it's not a, it's probably not a deal breaker in most hunting scenarios, but you know, it's something, it's something to think about if you're out shooting with your buddies and you go, Oh man, yeah. my sight tape's low. You might not need right. to actually go change that. You might just need to be adjusting for the wind. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah. But, well, this is uh man. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot today. Some great knowledge. I appreciate it, Steve. We, yeah. We um, didn't even really touch on, on a lot of, I thought we were still was warming up. I know. I kind of just went in circles here. I don't, I'm not sure if I said anything relevant. (laughs) Well, what do you think you missed? Oh, I, I don't, we had a little, uh, rundown list. I don't remember what was on it, but you know, the, the one thing I will say this, I wanted to get this across because I think a lot of guys don't understand how to evaluate two different setups. Um, and this just happened in here the other day, you know, an employee of ours, he was like, man, I was shooting this four mil and it's a lighter arrow and I was shooting this five mil and it's a heavier arrow, but man, I was hitting just super low with those four mil. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, they just hit, (laughs) they hit lower at 50 yards. I'm like, well, were you shooting them off the same setup? (laughs) Yeah. So then I realized a bunch of people, they don't understand like how to gauge trajectory between one arrow and another. 
know, right. and they don't understand you got to re zero and, and yeah, just interesting. Well, it's just, like it's that. sitting, the center of the arrow is sitting lower on the rest for the listeners. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's launching from a lower point. It's starting at a lower point. Right. I mean, it's not, You're, yeah. The best, the best way to compare trajectories and to really understand a real world trajectory difference. Cause the, the other side of this is guys thinking like, Oh, if I can get another eight feet per second, this will make all the difference. You're like, that's like two tenths of an inch at 50 yards, you know? Right. Yeah. So the best yeah. way to do this, get two setups that are really hammering side them in at 50 yards and then step back to 55 and aim at that 50 yard dot and see where they hit or go to 53 mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, cause mm-hmm. that's a pretty one thing. I would, yeah. Like, yeah. Kevin Wilkie, you know, he's a world field archery champion. Um, when he was teaching me how to do it, we would, you know, one thing I came up with is like, man, where do I make the biggest yardage mistake? And it's okay. It's always, always at, at 50 plus. And that's where you're, you're most penalized as well. So, and I think a lot of hunters when they're shooting, you know, say they range an animal at 50, it can quickly turn that into 52. So mm-hmm. understanding that and understanding you're talking about the animal moving, right. Animal moving. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Understanding what your trajectory is and understanding how much drop per yard you have at those distances. And then you can start to basically just change your point of aim on the animal and not worry about moving yeah, things right. around. So, and then understanding what your, what your arrows are truly doing. So then that's the best way to do it. I think going to 50 side in, then check it again at like at a, at a common mistake area, which would be say 50 to 52 yards. So shoot that 50 yard dot from 52 yards with your 50 yard sight mm-hmm. setting yeah. and see what happens. Right. And then you can yeah. see here's, here's the amount of error I have in my trajectory. So. Yeah, a lot of people don't know how to play the odds when they're shooting at an animal. Like if I'm, if I'm estimating, you know, like say I'm estimating yardage and I feel like, you know, the animal is at the, like, let's say I think the animal's over 30 yards, somewhere like somewhere in like under 35, but over 30. And I'm using my 30 yard pin. I'm going to aim at the upper section of his lungs. Yeah. Right. And, and then even if I'm wrong, I still hit the upper section of his lungs. Right. And if I'm right, I hit the middle of the lungs. Yeah. So like I can kill anywhere from the upper section to the lower section. So air toward the side that gives you the biggest margin of air. Yeah. And, and that's uh, one of the things I always like to do is the 50 a foot low trick. Have you ever heard of that one? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So for the listeners, you Google 50 a foot low. And I think Darren Cooper wrote a really good article about it. He's a former Hoyt engineer. And his article makes it. Do you know, do you know where this actually came from? I don't, but I, I've heard. This is the, this is where I've traced it. Kevin Wilkie was working at pace and sports (laughs) and this old farmer comes in and tells him this. And he's like, bull really? He's like, no, I guarantee you, you aim a foot low at 50. And, and so Kevin went home and tried it. And it actually worked. And then he told a few other people, including Darren. And so it actually came from this old farmer. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. The premise of this for, for the listeners is basically if you don't know, if you're out, you don't have time to make a quick range. Say you're calling a bull elk, right? And it, you're like, man, I can tell that. I don't know if that elk is 25. I don't know if it's 35, you know, I don't know. And you don't have time to range. There's, there's a pretty good trick and it's, it's nothing more than just, you know, putting all your pins on the animal, but there's a way, there's a good way to reference it. And that's your 50 pin a foot low. And you can try this on a lot of 3d targets. I think on, on the elk, the, the 50 pin a foot low is basically like right at the, it's perfect right at the belly. On an elk. Yeah. You just yeah. aim it at the, yeah. at the, the, the belly, the chest cavity, right at the bottom where you start to see daylight. And then you will be lethal from like 15 yards out to like, depending on the speed of your bow for a lot of guys, it's like 36 ish. Mm-hmm. And you're talking your arrow trajectory is only going to be your vertical spread is only like six, seven inches. Yeah. That. So and you're deadly. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. And it's, a, you can, you can go and test that, right. Just step back to 15 and aim a foot low mm-hmm. with your 50 yard pin. So put a dot on the target, 
measure a foot, put another dot on the target, keep your, uh, 50, your 50 pin on that lower one, and then just work your way back. And then you'll figure out quickly where you start to leave the, the kill zone. And, you know, I, I, what would you say a good deer kill zone vertical is probably like eight inches or so. Yeah. You need to aim down on their leg a little bit on a deer. Right. But uh, yeah, like oh, oh, yeah. you're saying the height, yeah, oh. like the vertical of a, the yeah, kill cavity, I, even 10 inches. Right. So yeah, you have a pretty, pretty wide range. So it's a really good way to, to approach it. If you need quick, like if you're in quick action and, and Wilkie himself, he laced a bull elk twice through the heart with that trick. He's like, I don't know how far yeah. it was either time, but he shot it through the heart twice. He it shot it, ran away, turned around. He shot it the other way. The arrows literally made an X through the heart. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah, he just dumped that thing. So it's a great trick. It is <laughs> great trick for, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised it's coming from, you know, such a technical archer, but you know, <laughs> it works. But like you're saying, it's playing the odds, right? That's like if right. You've been out and done it enough. Oh, so, right, here's, I'm, I'm, it's like aiming safe side on, on a 3d target that, you know, and that's more of a target archery term aim and safe side, but guys would understand mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there's that, that's the shooting side of, of arrows, but you know, when you're talking arrows, you're talking, how do you really, all you're trying to do is, is deliver a little chunk of hundred grains of metal to a terminal part of an animal and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways to get there, but, um, <laughs> yeah, seems like we, the, the industry has, has thrived on complicating that to a point. Well, I, I like what you said at the beginning of the podcast and I can't remember exactly how you said it. Something about the middle of the road is usually yeah, the happy, the best place the happy medium be. is always a good place yeah. to live and yeah, yeah. it's the truth, but it's interesting. I mean, when I started, I think my uncle who took me bowling the first time was shooting a 2413 or something like that, like gigantic arrow by today's standards. Mm -hmm. And now you see kid, like I had a kid the other day, I recommended a six mil Sonic to him. It's an Easton arrow, six millimeter, really, yeah. really good arrow. It's, it's, so it's like a two, four, six. Yeah. Right? So it's, yeah. it's actually a two, three, four, I believe oh, it's a little okay. smaller than your standard hunting arrow, standard carbon arrow. But, um, yeah. Like 10 years ago, it was, it was called micro diameter. And now <laughs> today he literally said, he texted me back. He said, bro, that's thick. And he spelled it with two C's. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, man, that's a small arrow in the real world. <laughs> but now everyone's four mil and, and, yeah. and bust, you know, guys are going to be pressing on X 10 size arrows soon enough with glue and yeah. broadheads. So, well, I wish we had time to, jump into the tunability of these small shafts. Cause I think there are some challenges there Oh, for sure. Uh, yep. You know, you have to be extra. That's why I, I shoot the two Oh four. Cause I just feel like they tune so nicely. Yeah. Um, and I'm not giving up a lot of diameter, but anyway, let's not digress on that. Cause this was a great conversation, Steve. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was educational to anybody who, who listened to it. Yeah, so. I mean, no apologies to anyone who lasted the whole time and, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll do it again. Get on some of that. We should. Stuff, so. There's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Thanks buddy. I appreciate All it. All right. I'll have a good one, man. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.